0: Have you ever heard anyone say something to the effect of, you need to get a grip? You ever heard that? Well, sometimes we all need to get a grip, right? Get a little wrapped up, we get a little out of whack, we get a little out of sorts. We need to get a grip on things just a little bit. If you've never heard that and never said that, that's probably good because you've never been, you know, sort of floating around didn't know what was going on. But tonight we're doing our... Sunday, last Sunday hymn discussion. We're going to talk about the hymn, Just As I Am. but We're going to go, in a sense, almost backwards uh, tonight with this. And so, while we might normally start with uh, something about the person who wrote it, we'll save that uh, for a little bit uh, later. First of all, though, coming to grips with our sinfulness. John uh, the, the book of John, first. the book of First John, chapter one, uh, and verses eight through ten. We read: If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves; and the truth is not us. You know these verses. If we confess our sins, he he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sin, we make him liar, and the word is not in us. You know anybody that's perfect? The answer is no. Do you know anybody who thinks they're perfect? The answer is probably yes, right? We know some people that are perfect. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 there, it says in verse 8 that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive who? Ourselves. Not really me or you, because if I try to claim myself to be perfect in front of you, you're not going to buy it. But sometimes we convince ourselves that we're perfect. We convince ourselves that we've not done anything wrong. How many of us have done something wrong today? <laughs> all of us have done something wrong in the last week, I'm sure. And so we have to come to grips, first of all, with our own sinfulness. That's essential. And part of the road to salvation, we talk about the steps to salvation, part of that road takes us through two stops, and one of them is confession. But One of them is also repentance, right? And we have to confess that Jesus Christ. Son of God, but we also have to confess that we've sort of messed up, that we've fallen short of the goals that have been set before us, right? Well, sometimes that's a little difficult, right? We don't like to admit when we were wrong. Do you know anybody like that? See, people are stubborn and bullheaded. We don't like to admit when we're wrong, but the Bible tells us that's one of the first things that we have to do. We have to, we have to confess or admit, we have to say, I am wrong. But then also have to change the ways that we're carrying ourselves as well. And so we have to come to grips with our sinfulness. This is essential if we expect to go before God on the judgment day and hear words of joy. The Bible tells us there in 1 John, chapter 1, 1, John 1, verses 8 through 10, that if we don't admit this, if we deceive ourselves, if we say we've not sinned, we're making God alive. If we think we're sinless then the grace of God is not within us. And we have no expectation no hope as it were. Now we have to own our mistakes. You ever heard this statement before something like this. You gotta own up to the problems that we've made. This is one of the things that I found really interesting in my time when I was serving as assistant principal. There was two categories of kids. There was kids who would tell you everything and there was kids who would tell you nothing. And there were kids who would come in and admit to things that you didn't even know they had done wrong and they was already telling you about it. And there were some kids that you could pull it up in the video and you could say, well, this is you in a yellow t-shirt doing something awful right here on the video. This is the friend that I saw you with. Here's me in the video with you. You no, that's no, not me. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't me. It's like, well, yes, it clearly is like, That's not me. That's somebody else. And it's like, how can you not? I mean, you know, I have got you pretty much right here showing you have done something wrong. But we sometimes struggle with owning up to our mistakes. Okay? We we have to own up to our mistakes. We see uh, Jesus didn't come to the world to save those who didn't take responsibility for sins. Think about that for a second. Every time that we see Jesus talking to someone, making uh, changes in their life, those people on every single occasion will admit what they have done wrong. But we sometimes struggle with that, right? We sometimes don't want to own the mistakes that we've made. But we all have, and we all have made these mistakes. But the teaching is, we have to own up, we have to take responsibility for our mistakes. Let's look uh, in Luke chapter 18 here to start with tonight. This is a really good example of what we should be, but the reality is, a lot of times, it's actually the opposite. It's kind of the example of what we are, rather than what we should be. Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. This is a parable. We've talked about parables before, and I don't know if parables are true stories or not. I feel like some of them might have been. Some of them probably were just sort of made up stories to help people understand but we've seen whether this is true or not you've seen examples of this in real life go with me Luke 18 starting in verse 10 two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector so we're establishing who the two people are here one's a Pharisee a, a man of the law a scholar as it would have been somebody who was well versed in the Jewish law Jewish customs Jewish traditions The other tax collector, somebody who would have been frowned upon, somebody who nobody really liked, somebody who the rumor was that tax collectors would collect $100 from you, but they put a few of those dollars in their own pocket as well. Somebody that people didn't much care for. So we got two people right here. The story should go, if we only read one verse, well, there's a trusted religious leader and there's a troublemaker. Verse 11. The Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself, and he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector, right? So he stood in front and he said, I am so thankful that I'm not like, and it's almost like he's rattling off the names right there. It's bad enough the first three things that he said, but you can almost see his finger pointing over there to the or oh, or oh, 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 this guy over here as well. Now, <clears throat> verse 12. He said, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. So he started by pointing out that he's better than all these other people, right? And then he tells what he's done. It's almost like he's hurting the is patting himself on the back so hard right there. That's hard to believe. Verse 13, though. The tax collector. Remember, this is the guy who has the reputation of being kind of a swindler, sort of a cheat, somebody who might not be putting all your tax money into the tax dollars. Verse 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, think about the approach of the two people right there. The first person, the Pharisee, stood up in the midst of everyone in prayer. And the first thing that he said was what? He said, look at all these other sinners. I am so much better than them. The tax collector stood afar off, didn't even feel comfortable approaching the front. We can sort of read in there. Didn't even raise his eyes. We keep his head down. And he said, God, be merciful to me. A what? What was the answer? Sinner. A sinner right there. He said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Did he mention anybody else? Was there any mention of any other person who might rank higher than him or social or lower than him on the social ladder? Was there any mention of that? Was there any mention of the things good that he had done? And I would imagine that there's probably some things that he could have said that he had done, he may have been doing. But he went in with a completely different attitude. And he said, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what does Jesus say in verse 14? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, we see this, who exalts himself, what's it say? Will be humbled, right? And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? almost flips itself over right there. Who do you think left feeling really good about themselves after that afternoon? I'd say the Pharisee left, right? Went to church. Knocked a couple of things off, told about how good I was. I feel like I'm doing good. The tax collector went in contrite. He went in owning his mistakes, right? He went in knowing what he had done. One man came thinking he was clean, the other realized what he was, what he had done was wrong. God's willing to save all men, but first, what do you gotta do? if we see right there. Now I don't believe that they need him. Who really truly believed that they needed God in that story? Tax collector, right? Didn't really seem like that the Pharisee felt like he really needed. Now, the the tax collector said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. We have to think about it that way as well. This woman, his name is Charlotte Elliott. The song is just as... I am nineteen or nine twenty-four in the book, I believe, is the hymn number <coughs> that we'll be singing here in a few minutes. She was born March eighteenth, uh, seventeen eighty-nine, in Brighton, England. Brighton is down on the southern coast of England, right on the uh, right on the Channel. I believe it was at Brighton, England, that the hotel was that was bombed back in the mid nineteen eighties. That the Queen was staying in. She was in a different part of the hotel. Uh, but that was where that was located. It's always been a big tourist spot uh, in England as well. But she's a weak and feeble lady. And a lot of what I'm going to tell you right now comes from biographical stuff, not necessarily things that I know. But it was, she's described as having a strong imagination and a well-cultured and intellectual mind. Now, i can call her a smart person. I think she knows uh, she's pretty intelligent, as she was. She's a lover of poetry and music. And she'd write the song, Just As I Am. Now this story was recorded in a book titled, The Hymn and the Hymn Writers of the Church. And her brother, Charlotte's brother, planned to hold a charity bazaar, kind of a, kind of a auction, a yard sale, uh, however you want to describe it. But they're going to have this charity event and they're going to raise money. And their whole point of raising this money was it was going to be able to provide money to pay for the education of young girls in the church. Okay, it's a time when young girls would not have been educated at all. And so they were going to give education to the daughters of the clergyman at St. Mary's Church there. Right. And the night before the bazaar, she was kept awake with distressing thoughts of her uselessness. How many of us, Leland, we were just talking about this, right? How many of us have ever been kept awake in the middle of the night? You ever been tossed and turned? I told Leland, sometimes you run out of sheep, you got to count other things. There's so much, you're laying there tossing around. But sometimes when we lay there, if we're not careful, we let all kinds of thoughts sort of creep into our head, right? And sometimes it might be something that we can remember, some kind of fun, exciting time. But if we're not careful, it can be something negative. And if we're not careful, we can look at ourselves and think, I've not really done anything. She's laying here. uh, that night thinking about her uselessness. And that led to spiritual conflict. She starts questioning her own spiritual life. She started wondering uh, if it were anything better, what, what can she do I'm not good enough? That was her thoughts. The next day, bizarre, busy day, lots going on, she couldn't go. The way I read the story here, she stayed on her couch just laying down. I'm sure she was tired. She'd been awake all night. But it was like she was just so overburdened with what she was failing to do. Can we ever get to that point ourselves? Of course we can. If we are not careful, we can fall into that spot as well. The troubles of that night before had come back on her and she was just overwhelmed. But she thought to herself, and this is again from the story, that the grace of God could help her to overcome that. She thought that she could be better than that. So she sort of gathers herself up. She started to try to rein in her emotions. But she thought about the Lord, the power of the Lord, and also His promise. When you think about it in the Bible, there are all sorts of promises that are included that are Supposed to make us happy, right? They're supposed to build us up. So why do we not take the promises that are offered to us? But sometimes instead, we let ourselves beat our own selves down. We lay in the bed and we toss and turn and we we go back and forth. We think I've done this wrong. I've done that wrong. There's no hope for me. We do that sometimes, right? I mean, this is not new. This she's born in the late 1700s and was doing the same very thing. Take some pen and paper. And as she had been wont to do, she wrote down a poem. And that's where the song, Just, I, Just As I Am, comes from. The, the, the Bible that I read said, it, she described it as her formula for faith. Turn, the book, not, turn in your hymn book to number 924. Her formula for faith. <coughs> when I think of formula, I think about math. I think about math, I think about science class. And when we would have to work with math problems, you'd have some kind of formula that you had to plug in. And if you did it wrong, you'd come up with the wrong answer, right? I remember doing some projects in chemistry class. I was a sophomore in high school, and I was, of all the chemistry students at Garrett County High School, I was one of them. But we would do these problems... And I could never do anything right. It seemed like I struggled with chemistry all the time. I was like, "Well, the whole goal is to get something to blow up, but I can't seem to get to the point to where this is going to happen." But in this level, she would tell, she'd say, "You got to follow the formula. If you put the right amount in, if you put this much of this and this much of that, it'll work." Well, she pens, Charlotte Elliott pens this just as I am, and she describes it as her formula for faith. If you think about it, if you approach life in this way, her saying was that you would be successful. So take a second, read a couple of those words. If you read it, she sort of restates to herself the pardon that's there, the peace that's there, the comfort of heaven. And she was comforted, at, comforted by four words, right? Just as I am. They all start that same way, right? Doesn't every verse in there start that way? So let's think about our new role for just a second. The point of just, I, just as I am is that God is willing to save, to save those who recognize their need. Go back just a minute to the parable that Jesus called a second ago. Who didn't really recognize the need? The Pharisee? Absolutely. Who recognized the need? The tax collector. Which one do we need to lean toward? Do we need to be the Pharisee? Or do we need to be the tax collector? Well, I think we all know that the answer is that we need to be the tax collector. But what do we sometimes fall into? We sometimes fall into that Pharisee spot and say, I've done some bad things, but I ain't done as many bad things as they have. We can slip into that really carefully. But what she says right here is we need to recognize what we need, what our new role is. After we come to grips with our sinfulness, after we come to grips with our mistakes, there's still more, though, expected of us. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the first six verses of that right now. Ephesians chapter 2. I told you before, if it wasn't for the song, I'd never know where Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians are. I have to sing it. Every single time in my head. I don't I won't sing it out loud to Ephesians chapter two, and we're gonna look at verses one through six. <coughs> and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse four. What does verse four start with? The word what? But, right? So when you see the word but, they're going to have a change of pace. The first three verses talk about how we used to be, right? Problems, complications, things that we did wrong. Verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if you go on further than that, but we see there, especially in verse four, but God who is rich in, what's your verse say? Mine says mercy there, right? What did the tax collector ask? He said, Lord, have mercy on me, you ask for mercy from someone who's got a lot of it to give, right? We have to recognize that in our new role, there is something expected of us. We were all verses one, two, and three at some point, but now we have become verses four, five, and six. These are written in the past tense. The we, we saw there, we were dead in our sins or in our transgressions. Were, I mean, that, that was. Back when, but not now. We were dead in our transgressions. We formerly walked according to the sinful ways of the world. All this means that we have to stop sinning before God cleanses us. But we have to recognize that we have to fix that according to 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. You see there on the screen, the Lord knows those who are His, And let everyone who names uh, the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We have to be aware of where we are and what our new role is. We can't make ourselves perfect. Try to remember that when you're laying in the bed thinking about all the things that you've done wrong. Try to remember that we can't make ourselves perfect. It's hard, right? It's really hard. There's a little sign whenever Will was the year that we were kind of at home with a lot of COVID stuff, and it was uh, online classes. And there's a little sign that Mary hung above the desk of his, and it said, nobody expects you to be perfect. We probably could use that sign hanging up everywhere, right? Because we kind of want to be perfect. And not only that, we sometimes fall into this thought that I have to be perfect, or there's no hope of salvation for me. Does the Bible say that anywhere? But we sometimes strive so hard for this perfection that when we can't reach that perfection, we fall into that pharisaical view where we say, well, I'm not perfect, but there's a lot of other people under me that aren't as perfect or close to perfect as I am as well. We have to think about this as the song of it. We have to think about just as I am. And we are helpless without Christ. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. I don't know if that will help you sleep better at night. Sometimes we're just laying there wide awake. But those verses should at least provide some comfort when we're trying to lay there and figure out all the things that we've done wrong and try to figure out how we can be much better or maybe even be perfected. It appears that Christ's death has perfected us instead. Christ's blood's only thing is able to remove our imperfections. And then we can truly appreciate the grace of God. The first thing, though, is what we see in this song. Just as I am. What she wrote about. She realized that she had spent a whole night fretting and worrying. She realized that she missed an event that her family was putting on, which was designed to help young girls like she had been in her community. And she missed all of that because she was overburdened by her lack of, her her fear of a lack of perfection. We'll say it that way. Let's don't miss out on things because we're overwhelmed and fearful of that. But instead, let's think about how we are, just as I am. And hopefully that that'll help us sleep a little better at night. Hopefully that'll provide us a little bit of comfort. Hopefully that'll show us the grace of God and the role that it plays in our life as well. And if there's anything we can do for you, any way that we can help you, we'd certainly invite you to come while we stand and sing.